If you're vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be magically delicious, and here's why. In this episode, we find some answers to what do art and magic have in common? And how can we create interesting sorcerers with the most out there behavior of real people? And what prompts can we use to infuse our sorcerers with the soul of a complex artist? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Jordan. And I'm his brother, Travis. So yeah, obviously today is about sorcerers. You know. The magic folk. The folk that vaguely sound like a Maybelline commercial. Maybe she's born with it. Oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> yes, fair enough. I thought you were saying like the musical tones of a Maybelline commercial, but that makes much more sense. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Sorcerers, they're born with their spell magic, you know, the juice. They're born with it. They don't have to learn it like a wizard. Yeah, it's in their blood. It's a part of their heritage somehow or... They touched a special rock that gave him powers. Who knows? <laughs> Pretty much like midichlorians from the uh, space opera. <laughs> Star, Wars? The Star Wars. We don't talk about that. I thought we struck <laughs> midichlorians from canon. Just well, the fans. We as just much as I'd want to, we can't. <laughs> well, <laughs> midichlorians, I, I don't think that's perfect because midichlorians don't necessarily come in different flavors like you find with uh, sorcerers you know you got aberrant mind clockwork soul you got storm mm-hmm. shockberry flavor yeah you got divine soul you got shadow the weird dark ones that taste like lemonade <laughs> yep uh and then you've got uh what else draconic probably a little spicy and of course my absolute favorite of the bunch wild magic which that really does feel like one of those like Doritos mystery flavor. <laughs> yeah, totally. You don't know what flavor this is. We'll tell you after you guys consume like six million bags and develop some kind of. <laughs> it's going to be bad for you. Colon blockage. Yeah. Yeah. But I would argue that midichlorians do come in a couple of flavors. Because, I mean, you got. Uh, and good. Yeah. Elect <laughs> electro flavor. I see. <laughs> Electro punch. I, I don't know why, because like I know we we've understood midichlorians are microscopic bacteria in the blood. Yeah, yeah. Which really just kind of <laughs> lead me to like assuming that they look like uh, who's the villain from SpongeBob? Plankton. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of looks like him. He's just like one eye and he's evil, <laughs> and that's gives you shock powers. And don't forget the new flavor of midichlorian, the one that lets you um, have telepathic conversations and and hallucinate about other people. Across space and Across time. Across space and time, yeah. All right. Bullshit. We're not making this whole episode about Star Wars yeah, we're and not gonna our mention problems it. with it. But let's get back to sorcerers. So the reason we ended up creating this episode is I feel like sorcerers and fighters don't really suffer from the same kind of narrow concepts that you know, say monks and druids do. You make a monk, well, obviously they wear robes and uh, they're pious and they probably have a, you know, a rule that they don't speak or something like that. And druids, of course, have... Antlers. 
antlers on them sure <laughs> yeah have antlers but sorcerers and fighters people don't really tend to struggle with that they can you can make any kind of person and slap fighter on them same thing with sorcerer yeah that's fair but what did get us talking about sorcerers was the idea that there are the two sides of magic and we already did one side with an episode on wizards some time ago number 74 create a wizard with science where we talked about due to their ultra learned nature they're going to school for magic they're kind of like scientists in a sense yeah they go to academia to learn how to bend the universe to their will yeah so sorcerers don't really go to school like wizards do and what does that make them well i mean not to say that artists can't go to school but it makes them artists of the world it's the scientists counterpart yes so it's a lot more about feeling it's a lot more about you know just the the raw passion and emotion that comes from magic tapping into that energy source whatever it may be and i think like a lot of creative endeavors it just has to come out somehow i do kind of resonate with this a little bit because if i'm not making something I feel a little bit stagnant and I probably don't feel it as deeply as like some of the most famous artists do. Like we've heard about the tortured, challenged artists and what they go through when they need to create. Yeah. And I, I, I wouldn't say that I feel it like that, but I definitely get the sense of like, hey, this is a resource. And when I can't tap into it, I feel particularly useless. And if I'm not creating then, you know, I'm either creating at work or I'm creating at home or we're working on the podcast or working on some kind of supplement, but that needs to be happening. Otherwise, I feel like a turd. Yeah. Even if it's not a super fun process even, but you got to you gotta do it. You got to express it somehow. Exactly. I want to make sure we clarify that we're not saying that art is somehow an innate skill that can't be learned, but just the sense that they, there is that creative well that artists kind of tap into, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Like, you can go to school for art. Yeah. I did. Yeah. And I'm sure it helped. But underneath that was always just something that you just like, I got to I gotta do something. And what we're really trying to tap into is what is that something that makes artists like that? And what <laughs> kind of people become like that? Ah, Yes. So we're going to do that in the Kinship Camp and explore artists in more detail. This is Kinship Camp, where rich histories and diverse quirks are explored between weary adventurers around the safety of the fire. So as you tend to do, you read another book for this whole episode. Yeah. It got me real good. I sunk into it like a warm blanket. It's called The Mind of the Artist, Personality and the Drive to Create by Dr. William Todd Schultz, an eminent psychobiographer with an award-winning career as a personality and creativity psychologist. Interesting. So this ain't my bullshit I'm spewing. It's backed up by a doctor. <laughs> Thank you. The, the book, in essence, asks simply what makes an artist. And it kind of takes a psychological analysis of personality-based roots of creativity and the creative process. It uses decades of research on personality traits. So it's a pretty cool read. The reason this aligns so well 
with sorcerers is the player's handbook itself says magic is a part of every sorcerer suffusing body, mind, and spirit with a latent power that waits to be tapped. And it carries on to say others carry a raw, uncontrolled magic within them, a chaotic storm that manifests in unexpected ways. And if that doesn't sound like an artist. Yeah, come on, you're fooling yourself. So that's where we're comparing artists and sorcerers in terms of their source of power. For sorcerers, it's where the magic comes from. And for artists, it's where that inspiration comes from. I really think that the Witcher books, games, and TV show got this right. You know, I, I, it kind of dances around it. And I think all credit goes to uh, Andrzej Sapkowski. Sapkowski. Got it. Hopefully you got it. With whatever he was tiptoeing around. Because chaos is where magic comes from. It's this like chaotic energy that can be harnessed and utilized. Yeah. And they even use the terminology of sorcerers, right? Yeah, exactly. So kind of like a fire hose, it simply just needs to be directed. And this feels like an artist who just has this within them that's trying to, to choose and to find, you know, what is that art that they want to try to invest in? And what is their medium? And what is their colors? And what is their, like, it has to just come out. And they spend their whole lives just figuring out the form in which that takes much like magic. I think Bob Dylan captures it pretty well. When asked about some of his songs, how he wrote them, where the imagery came from, he says he has no idea. He called the process black magic, describing himself as a vehicle or a conduit, saying the song making is outside of his control. Wild. A quote of his is, I accept chaos. I'm not sure whether it accepts me. He's a sorcerer. <laughs> Bob Dylan is a sorcerer. You heard it here. And I know that there's a lot of people out there. And I know you might be sitting there thinking, wait a sec. Musicians and artists are bards, you idiots. There's already a class for this. <laughs> <laughs> but we still think that the mindset of the artist works here. So we're basically talking about being in the zone or flow for both artists and sorcerers. When someone's not feeling creative, they can't come up with an original sentence, never mind original art. Travis, when you and I are sitting here <laughs> trying to work on the podcast, we can both just stare at the screen for like an hour while we're actually browsing some stupid meme website. And then we look at each other hoping the other person has done some good work, but neither of us have. Well, and this manifests itself in a lot of different ways, considering you, and we've talked about this before, you tend to need some kind of perfect balance of uppers and downers in the form of uh coffee yeah. and beer and tea <laughs> tea and water and your desk is constantly covered <laughs> and again i can see uh like six at least seven vessels plus some frank's red hot got to keep it spicy i guess yeah and so that is your your state that you need to get in <laughs> before you can be creative yeah and to pull this into the sorcerer world like i think when a sorcerer has a fresh pool of spell slots, they're high energy, they're casting cantrips at everything. But when they're out of spell slots, they're feeling completely drained, maybe a little cranky, and ready to call it quits. Yeah. Like, to drag around a spellless sorcerer is a headache for the entire party. <laughs> we're, we're definitely telling you to go out and be an absolute asshole to the rest of your party when you're out of spell slots. But to still go agree along. To take a short rest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You've got a, a role play reason to mechanically refresh your spells. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about some common artists 
traits and how we can lean into them when we're role-playing a sorcerer. Right. So the book I mentioned works off of a taxonomy of personality traits called the Big Five. It's basically five traits that you fall somewhere from low to high on each of, and that creates your individual profile, if you haven't heard of it. Real quick, the five traits are openness to experience. So high is inventive and curious, low is consistent and cautious. Conscientiousness. High on that is efficient and organized. Low is extravagant and careless. You got extroversion. We're all pretty familiar with that, outgoing, energetic people. Agreeableness, being friendly and compassionate. And neuroticism, which is high, is sensitive and nervous. Low is resilient and confident. And so in the book, the author really focuses on openness, that first trait of being inventive and curious as one of the immutable traits of artists. Like apparently there's been studies and studies done to prove that most artists are high in openness. And so I'd like to dive into that a bit and see if we can apply it to sorcerers. And the other one that a lot of artists have in common is low on that conscientiousness scale, which as a reminder is being efficient and organized versus extravagant and careless. So let's get into those. So high openness, how does that really manifest itself? Well, it's people that enjoy flights of fancy or see the beauty in a lot of things. People high in openness feel their emotions intensely. They're often more in tune with their feelings. They're really action-oriented. They prefer change and variety rather than habit. And their values are sometimes a little more extreme, like they're more likely to embrace radical beliefs. And to lean into that chaos, the low conscientiousness results in things like being disorderly, flaunting rules, being very unconventional. And one more common trait that he talked about that's related to those big five is being low on honesty and humility, which I think is kind of interesting. This is from the book. If artists really are, on average, less honest as well as less modest, if they fudge facts, embellish, exaggerate, pretend, these are par for the course. Their job is to go beyond facts to present alternate realities. A certain disrespect for fact is built into creative enterprises. This isn't dishonesty per se, but a capacity for invention. Artists make things up, after all. They're honestly dishonest, faithful first and foremost to the imaginary worlds they represent. And I, I do get that. Like, it's not a dishonesty. It's not that they're lying. They're embellishing for that dramatic effect. This is Van Gogh and his Starry Night versus, you know, a perfectly realistic depiction of what that night looked like. Yeah. Van Gogh's Starry Night probably would not look as good if he had done it photorealistically. It yeah. has this like swirling effect to it that just embellishes and makes it evokes all those emotions. He's got to stretch the facts a little bit to make that resonate. Exactly. Uh, a couple more traits that popped up in the book were uh, disinterest in wealth and luxury. Like artists might be chasing fame, but a lot of them that get huge end up changing what they're doing. Like they could just continue on their path to have the most success they could possibly have, but instead they change arts. <laughs> they they dive into something completely different. They would rather explore new ideas than say become a factory for whatever made them big. Yeah, they have a constant inquiry about the world. And an interesting one is a desire for solitude. David Bowie, who we're gonna get into a bit, is a good example of this. He said two things about this, that all of his work was about isolation and that he needed isolation to create. Interesting. 
like the conditions had to be right for him to be able to feel creative. Yeah. And this kind of makes sense because you think about your most creative state. It's not when you're in the corner at a party with like everyone around you. Mm. It's when you're in your element and it's an element that you've probably created for yourself. You've got a bit of a routine going on. You've got the right kind of music for the right kind of inspiration that you're trying to capture. You are, you know, the the blinds are drawn and, you know, whatever that, that case may be, whatever those conditions are, that's your most creative space. Yeah. And all of this leans into enjoying and being open to the chaos of life. So let's actually put this into practice in creating some sorceress characters. Sure. Well, let's talk about some of those bigger traits then. So we got the first one. Let's think about the need to create that you mentioned, Travis. So in the real world, you have legendary artists that are always pushing the boundaries of their art form. Once they learn a technique or a style, like we talked about, they tend to kind of branch off and go like, ah, I figured this one out. Let's let's do something new. I need more challenge. I need more interest. As a result, some of these great artists that we know made a ton of bad art for all of the legendary pieces that we know about. Or a lot of good art in different other forms. Yeah. Like, for instance, Tolkien, the writer of Lord of the Rings, was a very gifted artist. In fact, there was a couple of editions of The Hobbit that came out with his own watercolor art as the cover. Yeah, makes sense. Frank Lloyd Wright, the architect, uh, did graphic design on the side. Uh, Sylvia Plath was a poet and a writer and was also a very talented artist. Marilyn Monroe was a poet. Even Childish Gambino. Uh, Donald Glover, everything that dude touches is good from TV to <laughs> music. And even if you just just focus on his music, his albums have a very, very different feel or style to every single one of them. Right. He's always experimenting rather than just pumping out the same thing. You can't keep that dude down. So where else does your sorcerer use and explore their magic is the question we want to ask. I think it's fun to think about in D&D, a sorcerer's magic wants to be wielded. It has a tendency to spill out in unpredictable ways if it's not called upon. So what are some other ways that sorcerous magic could come spilling out? Some ideas that came to me in this trait, you could find a way to cast everyone else's spells, or at least that's what your goal is. You know, you're pushing the boundaries of your own skill level. You're trying to incorporate their techniques to make your magic better. I like that as a role-playing bit. Like, even if it's not in your spell list, you're still trying to learn it to figure it out yeah. and see if you can unlock it. Or you could even do that when you see a spell, knowing that you have the opportunity to choose that at a higher level. You start practicing. You start trying to figure that shit out. Maybe you're even trying to get them to cast their spells on you so you can feel the magic within it. Oh, I like that. <laughs> Hit me with a shocking grasp <laughs> yeah. so I know. It's like, you know, cops having to get tased before they're allowed to use a taser. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, this made me think of going around and creating art with your magic. Like, yes, your adventurer can cast a spell and use it for damaging purposes. You know, for instance, uh, Shatter. Shatter is a great example. Typically, this is a chaos spell that throws the whole battlefield into disarray when somebody casts Shatter. It does a huge amount of damage. But why can't your character just be running around and every brick wall that they see they are tagging it with their own tag with 
tiny little instances of shatter. And I know that this isn't the most effective use of your spell slots, but as a DM, if a player at my table wanted to, to just go around casting harmless sensory effects based on their higher level slotted spells, I'd just give it to them. Yeah, I really like that. I think a sorcerer could cast cantrips with a fiery curiosity. Like they're always trying to create new spells and they're doing it so that they can keep experimenting. Like, and another role play thing that's not related to the actual spells in their list. Like, I think that they could be kind of experimenting in weird ways, tossing out the results of failed attempts. Get real weird with it. Create a frog with filled with iced tea. <laughs> You're like, this isn't going to be useful to me. Animal cruelty. <laughs> sure. Sorry. It's fake animals. You could burp dry fall leaves. <laughs> sure. I'm curious how that uh, that fits into <laughs> your role play. I, you know, 10 bucks if you can figure out how to work that into your role play. Fine. I'm just saying you can be really weird with your magical experimentation. I mean, get some dice. You know, you can buy a set of blank dice and you start throwing on your different spells and then some kind of random effect on the other one and just give her. And I know this is like kind of accomplished with the wild magic table, but this is a creative game. Do more wild magic that doesn't actually affect anything. 100%. And I really like the idea of having magic literally overflowing out of their body. You know, you can choose a damage type. You could have acid sweats when they haven't cast in a while, or they could just leave a trail of cold in the air behind them as they move. They could be jam-packed with kinetic energy, kind of like in real life when you spark something when you touch it. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to another trait. Let's talk about obsession. So in the real world, this is kind of wild. Like Picasso was a very prolific painter. He painted a lot. And there's only a handful of his paintings that ever became extremely, incredibly otherworldly valuable. But there's a, a ton of Picassos out there. And he spent three and a half years painting in tones of blue and green because he was sad over the death of a friend and he was flat ass broke for years. So I would assume that paint cost some. Yeah. And maybe blue paint was discounted <laughs> for a little while there. Maybe he figured out how to make it on his own. Who knows? But what does he do when he feels really, really sad? He paints in blue and he does a hundred paintings in three years during his very famous blue period. Hmm. So yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's 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 wild the way that his mind worked that he just said, you know what, I'm just going to do a, a shit ton of blue painting. None of these paintings were tremendously alike. It's not like he kept painting the same subject matter. He painted all different subject matter in blues and greens. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's an obsession to color for sure. Another like uh, another painting Every 11 days, he did 100 paintings in three and a half years. Wow. He was probably working at Starbucks. Yeah. <laughs> trying to pay the bills. Trying to trying to pay those paint bills. Being a barista, surviving yeah. off tips, for <laughs> sure. He was real pissed at the time. <laughs> He'd go home and angrily paint yeah. another painting in blue. So there you go. You got artists obsessed with a color. I think we can explore this with a D&D flavor. Well, with combat, I think you could get a little dextery with it. Like you could be obsessed with trying to create a beautiful scene of carnage, which is why you're strategizing during battle. Not necessarily to win. The two can overlap. Oh, dark. But like you're trying to create some blood sprays that <laughs> <laughs> you're you're asking 
the bugbear to step six <laughs> steps to his left because yeah. that's where the explosion has to be. Yeah. Please, please just move a bit and I'll be able to do this cool thing. <laughs> that's some dark shit. <laughs> I think your sorcerer could be obsessed with casting the best looking cloud of daggers. Not the one that does the most damage, oh. but the best looking. So you could roll 2d20 and the higher that average is, the better looking it is. Right. By whatever artistic standard your sorcerer has. Exactly. And then if you ever, and I know the odds are very, very slim, but if you ever manage to to capture either, you could say doubles or 220s, your sorcerer has reached peak beauty of cloud of daggers <laughs> and they will retire that spell and not use it again. Yeah. They'll move on to some other spell. Talk about the time they did that. Yeah. You know, you could even flavor all of your spells with whatever real world art style that you enjoy. Totally. Like your cloud of daggers doesn't have to be real looking daggers. You got impressionist daggers flying around. <laughs> I thought that's where you were going. That's that, Yeah, that's perfect. To that same token, you could also do max damage. And like, that's what your sorcerer is trying to do is being blown away by how magnificent that max damage spell is. Yeah, like the higher damage they hit, they're just talking it up and, and afterwards, did you see that kind of thing? You've got this one particular spell that you're always using. Fireball, you know, that's the classic. Yeah, exactly. So fireball does an ass ton of damage. But if you just do fireball all the time, it's because you're a dirty, dirty min-maxer. <laughs> you know exactly that the average of that spell rolls higher than all of your other spells, so that's why you use it. Yeah. Nope, it isn't. It's because your sorcerer is obsessed with getting just the right fireball. Okay, so they take notes afterwards on how that one went off. You know, it didn't quite have the right uh, edge to it. Yeah. It needs, it needs a more defined edge. <laughs> uh, I love that. All right, let's move on. Trait number three, openness. Right. This is that one we talked about artists being super high in, being open to trying new things and having new adventures because everything offers experiences to draw from. And this can mean that you're dabbling in many different mediums. We talked about that a bit. You know, in the real world, artists that experiment with different methods, I think it's kind of fascinating the different habits and routines artists come up with. Like Salvador Dali would fall asleep dangling a key over a metal plate. The clang would wake him up so he could record the weirdness that came out of that half-asleep dream state. Maybe your sorcerer gets their inspiration from their dreams. Well, you know, writers like Dalton Trumbo would write in the bathtub because that was the perfect place. And you should see, like, if you ever see a photo of Trumbo, he's, like, got a one of those bathtub uh, boards that spans the width of the <laughs> bathtub, and he's got his typewriter right on it, and a coffee, and a waffle, and a... And of this and more stuff on the chair, like he set up his entire office because that was the ideal state. I like the image of a sorcerer traveling. You know, you've got your party's wagon. It's very elaborate and fancy. And on top is a clawfoot tub that your sorcerer just splashing around in the entire time you're traveling down the road. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's where their happy place is. That's, yeah. that's the openness. They're using their spells to keep the water warm. And to mention again how many different avenues an artist might go down. I mean, David Bowie played ukulele, saxophone, harmonica, guitar, piano. He sang, he wrote, he painted, 
gallery owners would offer him exhibitions. He acted. He studied mime and kabuki theater. Just to mention a few. Jeez. Uh, that's a renaissance man right there. Always needs to be pursuing the next craft. So how can we apply these to a sorcerer in D&D? Your sorcerer could be absolutely positive that a party member's weapon is going to lead the, to that party member's doom or their ultimate victory. They could super charismatically charm people out of simple items that they have, like a set of cutlery, and they start using that as their spellcasting focus because they can sense something in it. They could constantly be cycling through the right spellcasting focus at the time based on what represents the chaos best to them. You know, it could be a discarded cigar, the tip of a broken sword from one of their combats. It could even be an aging banana, if you want to get weird with it. Shit, I've never actually considered that you can have more than one spellcasting focus. <laughs> you, or you can, can have like dozens. Sure, but like if you want to restrict it, you can still only have one at a time. But the sorcerer sees something in the world and says, that's it. It's got the chaos. It's like it. a, an artist trying to find their muse. Yeah, exactly. They just have to keep cycling through <laughs> stuff. No, this is the one that I feel the chaos coming from. Yeah, it's lost its touch. I mean, come on. We D&Ders do this all the time with our dice. How do you mean? If a dice isn't giving you the right oh. vibes that day, <laughs> you move on. Fair enough. Yes. Dice punishment. All right. So let's wrap this up with the unconscientious slash disorganized kind of thing that, that artists lean into. Right. They're flaunting rules. They're doing things their own way at every opportunity. You know, you're not taking the time to organize things or plan them out because you're just letting the chaos spill through you. Speaking of David Bowie again, he didn't even follow the rules of music, of which there are many, if you're not aware. You know, his first hit, Space Oddity, apparently didn't even have a chorus or a middle eight. A bandmate of his said, most musicians make songs with a structure that has been used before. His songs have a structure that he dreams up for himself. Yeah, like march to the beat of your own drum. Well, I think sorcerers are going to push back against authority figures. Like, we've already kind of established that they don't want to follow the status quo. Yeah, I think they could make habits out of doing things differently, like maybe they equip themselves differently every day. They could borrow the outfit of a party member to channel that person's energy. Well, and I definitely think they would occasionally, you know, with that disorganization, they would occasionally get stuck in their own magical rut. When the, when the conditions aren't right, you know, just like writer's block, they would struggle with trying to get spells done. And you could even flavor running out of spell slots as that. Yeah. As like either I'm mentally exhausted and I do not have the capacity to channel more magic or I'm uninspired. Yeah. I think that really works. And that would be really quite easy to role play, I think. As this kind of sorcerer, I might cast all my spells, not based on the right moment in a practical sense, but in a cosmic sense. Like this spell needs to come out of be now and sure that could align with when you actually need to use it but you could also just fire off some randos yeah i dig that i think we've got a lot to work on here but we need something that is more directly useful before i walk into a game here's the thing is that i want stuff to try to role play out and so we're actually going to jump to morden's forge where we've created a set of eight questions to ask yourself about your sorcerer to help guide your role play and lean more in to being these artist types. This is Moradin's Forge, where raw materials are reshaped 
hone into tools and weapons for the most incredible of quests. All right, so we've created some sorceress prompts to craft a more artistically infused sorcerer. Yes, those are the right words. Absolutely. So, <laughs> so let's go through the questions, the list of questions first, and then each of us has prepared some answers to those questions. And we're going to put these in the show notes just so you can use these to tinker your own character creations. Of course. So, number one, how do they display an openness to opportunity or ideas? Number two, how do they specifically display their disorganization? Number three, what situation is ideal for your sorcerer to cast spells in? And four, is what situation is absolutely the worst to do so? The number five is how does your magic overflow when you're not casting spells? And number six, what is your sorcerer obsessed with? Number seven, what habit or ritual does your sorcerer strictly adhere to for more maximum magics? And number eight, what magic or mystery do they believe about their spellcasting focus? If you answer all of those, you're going to have a sorcerer with some serious creative quirks. And to demonstrate, you'll go first. Sure. What... Have you got in terms of answering each one of these questions? Let's start with the first. How do they display an openness for opportunity or ideas? Well, I'm going to build out new wild magic sorcerer because I think wild magic is the absolute most fun subclass in the book. And I went with the name Gentaculum, which apparently means breakfast in Latin. And I think that's a wonderful <laughs> sorcerer name. Very good. Yes. Gentaculum. Yes. So to answer your first question, Gentaculum. Uh, will copy the moves of his teammates as his somatic components. So basically, he's got to be inspired by physical moves. So he might copy a barbarian's mighty uppercut axe swing or a ranger's calculated bow shot. Very nice. That's how he casts his spells. A little like bit different. That. Yeah. And it, it focuses on the rest of the team and kind of puts them in a very cool light. Yeah. I always like traits that focus on the rest of the party because it forces that inter-character role play a little bit. Yeah. How do they specifically display their disorganization? Well, this one taps into the real me a little bit, but their backpack is jam-packed with unessential but personally meaningful items. <laughs> so, you know, you might have 13 stones in there that represent different energy types. They're all different colors, a little rock collection. Or maybe he's just got the last bite of an assortment of different snacks in case the mood strikes. <laughs> so just a lot of crumbs, basically. Yeah, it's yeah. a messy backpack. Very good. What situation is ideal for your sorcerer to cast spells? He prefers when he can hear water running in the background. Like helping him pee. <laughs> yeah. He's a, need to hear the, hear got the an water. audio cue. Yeah, yeah got it. Uh, what situation is the worst? When somebody is speaking, much like a golfer or something. Oh, boy. Like, quiet, quiet. <laughs> I need quiet. That's going to be very good in combat. <laughs> I mean, he's still going to be able to do it. He's just going to be really frustrated about it. <laughs> Got it. How does your magic overflow when you're not casting spells? Well, I was thinking he could have really weak magic missiles drifting out of him like fireflies that he has to catch before they singe somebody. Especially if he's kind of getting worked up about something. <laughs> I see. So they just like, yeah, they just start 
floating everywhere, lighting shit on fire. Yeah, yeah. And he's going to grab at him. Very good. I was also thinking if he stands still too long, he starts sweating profusely from the energy building up inside him. He's a pacer. Ah, yeah. It seems like fidgety. Yeah. Uncomfortable a lot of the time. Well, what's he obsessed with? Well, Gentaculum is obsessed with hands. He's got to see your slappers. (laughs) This character is getting weirder and weirder (laughs) by the moment. Exactly. He can intuitively tell a lot about a person by looking at their hands. Okay, and so I would assume that, you know, he probably learns to trust you or likes you or dislikes you just based on your hands. Oh, yeah. Big time. And if he gets a glimpse of those lines, he's going to have a lot of theories. Oh, boy. (laughs) What habit or ritual does your sorcerer strictly adhere to? Well, I think as unorganized as his backpack is, he keeps his spell focus in a finely crafted box lined with felt. And when magic is afoot, when he needs to do some casting, he touches it to and maybe even asks for a bit of a blessing from whatever party member he considers to be holding the most chaos that day. Interesting. Cool. I dig that. What magic or mystery do they believe about their spellcasting focus? Well, when his spellcasting focus is misbehaving, when his spells are failing, he sends it to magic jail, a special pocket in his backpack. For being bad. Yeah. For being a bad focus. Again, we're tapping into those dice habits that we have as D&D players. Dice jail. Very good. I think with all that, I've got a very original sorcerer that i can just choose any one of those i could just choose a couple of those and that would be a weird enough character well when the bar is weird yes i think it works so let's see what you're bringing to the table then travis well this is why i always struggle going second is because (laughs) mine i i feel like mine is a build-up to yours which is the closer which is the if if we're gonna go out We're going to go out leaving you scratching your head going, what the hell is wrong with those two brothers? And that in that case, you should usually go after me. I don't understand what you mean. I'll try and bring I'll try and bring something to this. So I'm working on my tiefling sorcerer Halcyon. All right. Basically, they'll do literally anything on a dare. And how do they display their disorganization? Well, I think we were on the same kind of wavelength here. Because I was picturing they carry around one of those like big single, single volume military bags, like a rucksack. Okay. And anytime they need something, it is going to slow the party down just a little bit (laughs) because they're going to dump it out and there is no organization to it. It's just literally everything is in there in one big space. And so if they dump it out. Uh, It's in a big pile. Like retrieving things is going to be a bit of a challenge, especially if it's in combat where you just dump out the entire contents of the bag and quickly grab your dagger that you needed. Yeah. So there's going to be some cleanup. There's going to be some very likely chances that they'll have to abandon, you know, he'll have to abandon his own stuff every once in a while because he simply has to escape from this very dangerous (laughs) combat. Yeah, it really sucks when he's got to run. Yeah. And like, so does he pre-dump before combat sometimes? He just gets things laid out. Oh, so yeah. You can... <laughs> yeah. He has to dump it out in, in advance. If he is actually thinking ahead that far. Yeah. Then he's got to lay it all out and go, okay, like, what am I going to need? I'm going to need this, this, <laughs> and like kind of dig through stuff. Not exactly stealthy either. No, not at all. Good thing he's not a rogue. What situation is ideal for him to cast spells in? 
Well, I think the it's going to be like a music trigger. So whenever the bard in the party is actually playing music, and so that is going to be the ideal case where he's inspired by that music. It like kind of like people listen to music while doing creative work. Yeah. They need to hear that bard. Yeah. Piping a, piping a fancy tune. Really sucks that the party doesn't have one and he just demands that the fighter drum on something. <laughs> Somebody play something. <laughs> and what's the worst situation? Uh, well, when they are being attacked. Wow. <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm kind of picturing like he's a he's kind of a fancy dude. All right. Like he's he, he dresses well. He's kind of leaning against all of his tiefling origins. He's trying to present a very uh, calm, refined kind of sensibility to him. And so in this case, he doesn't deal with stress very well. And so whenever he has an enemy within five feet, that is not going to be the most ideal time to be casting spells. He's going to kind of turtle a little bit, or at least that refined, dignified mm. air is going to crack. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't like to be up close and personal. Yeah. That's good. So always staying in a range. Yep. And how does his magic overflow when he's not casting spells? Well, I think this is one of those things where the talent is just latent within him. And I think I wouldn't mind rolling on the wild magic table while he's sleeping. Yeah, like kind of builds up. Yeah, once a night, if he hasn't used magic a ton or if he goes to bed without having expended all of his spell slots in a day, well, then just chances are the wild magic table gets rolled on and we'll see how that plays out <laughs> while he's sleeping. Might have to be put 100 meters away from all sleeping party members <laughs> after a few nights. Well, and I, I look forward to the opportunity to actually flavor some of those wild magic spells in what he was dreaming about. Oh, yeah, that could be good. We were talking about the power of dreams to the creative. Yeah, that makes sense. And what is he obsessed with? Well, after thinking about this, I'm really thinking kind of like you were saying, uh, you know, focusing on other members of the party. Another member of the party is going to be his muse. Um, and he's going to want to try and keep that person alive at all costs. And that person is really like who he is inspired by. All right. So he chooses one party member and kind of just plays that up. That could be good. And what habit or ritual does he strictly adhere to? Well, he always, like I've I've mentioned, he's fairly fancy. He likes fancy attire. He sees himself as refined, though he doesn't consider himself a part of the elite. He wants to present that air. And so he always gets dressed up in his finest attire. And if he's dirty, he's not going to deal with that well. He's going to get kind of stressed out. Uh, so he believes that feeling tip-top starts with how they present themselves. All right. And much like a lot of athletes out there, if it's a little bit off, they're just like, nope, can't perform. Exactly. And what magic or mystery does he believe about his spellcasting focus? Well, his spellcasting focus is his cane. All right. What is a part of his daily attire and thinks it's one of those refinement pieces, less a mobility aid. And so in that sense... He believes that that is a part of of keeping himself feeling in that kind of tip top state that if he doesn't present himself like that, the magic might disappear out of his spellcasting focus. All right. Always concerned about losing the chaos that lets him be a sorcerer. Exactly that. Yeah. 
I like that. I like the idea that sorcerers are one of the only classes that aren't always confident in their abilities. Well, if you ask any artist, yeah, they're not always the most confident in their own abilities. Yeah, exactly. You know, they struggle with that day in and day out and, and trying to perform their best and trying to get the best, most creative work out of them. Uh, you know, it doesn't always appear that way from the outside. But like you say, those sorcerers could struggle with exactly the same thing. Yeah. Well, and that uh, that does beg the question, where does our magic come from? Well, it comes from our delightful patrons that keep this whole thing chugging along. You are the source of our chaos. Time Warp. Nico Y. Zach G. No Ma'am. Michelle T. Hentenius. Alan E. Matthew T. Felix R. Chris F. The Senate. Lucas D. Lila G. The GM Tim. Thomas W. Tyler G. Ty N. Heavy Arms. Eric R. Aldros. Leprechaun. And Will HP. Thank you all so very, very much for your continued support this year. Thanks to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects you heard in this episode. You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit. You can join an awesome community of players and DMs and come tell us what you thought about the episode how those questions may have helped you flesh out your sorcerer a little bit more by joining our Discord. Or just any creative type of character that you play. Like, I hope a little bit of this seeps into every character. It will for me. Thanks for listening, and put your bad dice in jail. Because they must be punished.